0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The rate of expansion of charter schools throughout the United States has slowed since five years ago. While charter school enrollment is still increasing at a pace similar to recent years, the number of new schools opening each year has slipped from a 7% increase to something like 2% increase from one year to the next. The slowdown occurs despite the fact that some charter schools, such as those that are part of the KIPP network, are demonstrating extraordinary levels of performance with disadvantaged students. To discuss the status of charter schools in the United States in 2018, I have with me today Richard Barth, Chief Executive Officer of the KIPP Foundation. That foundation is responsible for the growth of the KIPP network, which has in fact expanded from 45 to 224 schools since 2005, and today is serving nearly 100,000 students. Richard, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Well, Richard, it's your job to keep a close eye on what is happening in the charter school world. Um, what do you think about this slowdown? I- is it still occurring, um, and-, and why is this happening, do you think?
1: I, I think there are a couple things here. Um, so I think for sure there is a slowdown, so let me not make the case that there isn't. There, the number of... New school openings um, now uh, is uh, let's say roughly in the mid three hundreds nationally a year, um, and at its peak five or six years ago, you might have been you know uh, close around around six hundred. So that's that's a real slowdown. It's concentrated though um, in a handful of places. So this is not an issue of it slowing down everywhere. Um, there are a number of states that have had m- far more significant slowdown, Michigan, Ohio, and I think so. I think the first theme I would just emphasize is. Um, I, I think a good good part of what's happened is um, there's been a uh, reckoning of uh, the desire to make sure that schools that open are going to get off to a great start and are going to be successful, uh, you know, n- new schools for the communities in which they work. And so I think in a, in a handful of states, they have um, looked at their authorizing processes and said, hey, let's let's make sure, you know, to the best of our ability, every new school we open is going to be successful. So I think some states are opening fewer than they were at their peak because they've actually improved their... Authorizing process. I think uh, the, the second issue is that you've had growth in a number of communities um, to such a degree that you actually are in a place where it feels, um, saturated might be an overstatement, but in some communities it feels like the charter sector is really um, built out, and specifically the access to facilities are becoming a bigger issue. So um, the, the charter movement is one that depends upon the ability to find a home to open your school, and historically you either... Uh, rent uh, build um or uh you know do it do a rehab and um in in communities uh like uh, uh washington dc um, and northern california where we have uh schools the number of available fa- even in a place like Newark, new jersey of available facilities to do that is, is harder than it used to be
0: well i know that in some places school districts if they have a building that's not fully utilized will let the charter school have use of that building Is it harder to get the school district cooperation now than it used to be?
1: Um, I think, uh, yes. I think um, in in a number of places, the ability to open up inside a a school district building is harder. So um, uh, the ability to do that in uh, places that have had high growth in the past, including uh, like New York, where I live, it is harder. Um, The number of of approvals for what you call um, co-location are fewer. So I think the politics have gotten harder, and the intersection between politics and facilities is a, is a really tight one. Um, if you're not able to get inside an already built public school, uh, then you have to go out and, and either build or, or rent. Um, and that's that's not a small proposition financially. Uh, so again, I think what's happened, the, the big trends would be that you've got slower growth in states that probably, I think, needed to take a look at their approval process and, and get their arms around it. And then you have slower growth in specific cities that have had high growth historically, and I think um, it 's become more difficult to find a home to open new schools those are, those are the two two big trends
0: yeah but the, in Massachusetts and in new york you 've had some terrific charter schools, and uh, you can have a, a pretty, tell a pretty good story about uh, the effectiveness of of their operations and the advantages that they 're uh, providing to uh, students who don 't have yeah. much in the way of advantages so uh, yet you don't see uh, New York opening the doors to more charter schools and you don't see Massachusetts doing that. So it, it, is, is there's some political opposition sure, yeah. that's there as well? Yes,
1: I mean, so on the political front, um, and let me make that super explicit because it connects to facilities. Um, in, a, in a place like Massachusetts, obviously we are literally, it is not not legally possible for us to open a new school today. So there's a cap on uh, charter schools in, in the state we made an effort, it didn't work, um, to change that. And so uh, in Boston, we have a phenomenal K-8 school here in Mattapan and we will not be able to open a high school for our kids, which is something we do everywhere else. So I think in um, places like Massachusetts uh, and New York City right now, it is definitively, the politics are harder and I think we're gonna have to look at, um, and I've got some ideas and there's like, new ways to grow um, that the sector I think can embrace. And, and so I don't think growth should slow and growth should definitely not pause, but I think we're going to, to consider new options.
0: So how about uh, the KIPP Foundation? Uh, are, are the s- schools increasing in number as rapidly as in the past, or is that slowdown affecting your organization as well?
1: Um, so it's uh, affecting us again in some markets. I think what you're, you're seeing is that we're, we'll open this year. We're planning to open 20 new schools in the next nine months from now. Um, so that would be um, – predicted uh, expected growth. I mean, we, we you know, would want to be growing at you know, 10 or 12% a year. We don't want to grow so, fat that, so fast that we can't deliver our promises to kids, but we, we want to open new schools every year and we want to build out our K-12 feeder patterns. So um, I, I'm expecting us to be able to keep, keep you know, growing, you know, whether it's 20, 25 new schools a year, that's, that's, that's the plan. Um, I do think we're facing something, Paul, that you're naming, which is, so where is that growth gonna happen? And my, um, my prediction would be you're going to see more growth in states that are providing um, a welcome place to do work. So, in a place like Texas, um, where we have 52 schools today, um, you can actually imagine us saying, you know, could we grow to educate 100,000 kids a year just in Texas? And the answer is yes. So, I think you're going to see growth um, get uh, accelerated in uh, those states where they're really welcoming it. I think in other places, you're going to have to see people in including KIPP, consider new partnerships, new ways of working with districts. And that could include new models um, that are meeting the needs in a city that have not been met. Those could be schools that are serving high special needs populations. Those could be new high school designs. I think we're gonna have to be willing as well to flex and say, if this is what the city needs and we wanna grow in the city, are we willing to find uh, a, a way to do that? And if we wanna keep growing.
0: Well, let me ask you about the KIPP model. I mean, it's called the "no excuses" model by some, and uh, high expectations, uh, demanding um, uh, discipline, uh, and uh, and sort of um, lots of participation in the learning process and in a, in, a, in a direct way by by students. Um, are you maintaining that kind of um, strategy for? Uh, addressing the educational needs of disadvantaged students. Yeah.
1: So um, we are, I mean, the one thing I, I love about working at KIPP is we get to evolve as we learn based on our lived experience and based on outside research. So um, uh, other outs, other people use the word no excuses. That would not be the word we use. We, I think our schools are high expectations and high support and high joy. Um, we are creating really engaging um, places for kids to, you know, we want kids to get off a bus or... Um, Say goodbye to their, their parent and run to school, and so to do that, um, we have high expectations. We have we we have excellent you know uh, curriculum, and we have teachers that you know love the heck out of our kids. Uh, what's different today than ten years ago? Um, we've learned a lot, and we've recognized we needed to have a more consistent academic uh, experience for our children as they, as we grew from educating five thousand to a hundred thousand kids. So we've identified the best. Um, that we could find out there in terms of literacy and math curriculum, um, and we've adopted that um, system-wide. So you're seeing better execution of excellent curriculum than you would have 10 years ago. And the issue of um, the student environment and the, the culture of the school, I think um, we've stepped back and looked at uh, how do our kids, what do, what do our alums tell us uh, when they leave, when they're 17 and 18? And they said, um, the number one thing they say is they love our teachers, they love the high expectations, um, but they also wanted to make sure that we're building their leadership and their the ability to regulate and and, and like p- play out and, and lead themselves into their future and so you are finding us um, less uh, constrained uh, culture than in the past safe structured nurturing environments so safe structured but the idea of people having an image of it being you know a discipline uh, focused school is just not not what we do today. Um, uh, and I think it's based on our learning of what our alums have told us when they went off to college. Here's what you did right, and here's what we'd like you to do going forward.
0: Well, a lot of the charter schools have focused on the elementary school population, maybe the middle school population, but too few schools in the charter sector are high schools. Are you doing anything about that? What, what's your <coughs> focus on the high school, and how does that affect your thinking about it, the, the role of the
1: KIPP in the future? Yeah. so yeah. It's, it's, it's a great point, Paul. So I said to people, most people don't want to do a high school. Um, They don't want to do high school because uh, high schools are expensive. Their facilities are more expensive. Uh, You have to, you know, if you want to create a high school in America, mostly, like, if you don't have, put on a play or have sports teams, like, it doesn't feel like high school. So high schools are a big investment. Um, High schools can be difficult. Uh, Teenagers are making all sorts of decisions that don't reflect long-term thinking. So um, I get why people don't want to do it. And at KIPP, it wasn't built into what we did. But today we have 31 high schools. And it's um, the fastest-growing part of what we're, we're, we're doing. We've been um, opening these high schools. You have to be in the high school. I mean, if America is going gonna, to you know, thrive, um, we have to get great at a high school. The experience uh, that a young person between the ages of 14 and 17 or 18 have um, are game-changing. It is the launching point into adulthood. So, at Kip, I, we've reconciled the fact that they're hard to do. They may be more expensive to do. But um, this is the time when young people are figuring out their purpose their passion and their plan. And we wanna be with them when they're doing that. And so for, the, for us to let our eighth graders go off to comprehensive high schools that don't have the capability of actually helping a young Paul or a young Richard figure out their purpose, passion, and plan while they're building their academic skills. So this is not a alternative to AP Calculus or AP Statistics or AP English. This is running alongside it. And we have to be in that game with our kids if when they leave us, whether they go to college, which the majority of them will, or don't. Like, we want them to be so clear, so much more clear about who they are, what makes them tick, what they love so to do. So
0: what do you do apart from AP calculus? Yep. Yeah. Well, h- how do you get a high school to have more focus than the comprehensive high yeah. school? What's, what's the strategy?
1: So so let me say, like, first, um, you know, our schools are going to be smaller than a lot of the comprehensive high schools in America. So, you know, at KIPP, your, your average high school, you're talking about a six- 600, 650 kid high school. We do have bigger ones, we have schools, our biggest schools might be around 1100, but most of them are much smaller. So um, I just want to emphasize that like, from a sense of anonymity, you've got to not, like if, if you're building a high school that um, literally by design and size is gonna guarantee anonymity, you're probably off in a bad trajectory. We don't do that. The, the, the second thing is we have an advisory uh, function built into our high schools that is powerful. So we have a, a counselor ratio, um, to student that you know most comprehensive high, comprehensive high schools in many states you 'll see one to five hundred one to a thousand one to six hundred you 're going to see us you know at you know one to seventy five one to a hundred um, relationship level and then we have a a journey we go on with them over the course of their high school years where they 're engaging in topics that are really important so i 'm just going to take one example of how good we 've gotten at high school uh, counseling as it relates to going to college uh, at KIP today, if you're a high school junior, um, we, and you want to go to college, we start a conversation with you and we say, Paul, like based on your GPA, based on your ACT scores, like here's our a list of colleges we think um, could be great for you. And we want you to look at this and work with us over the next year uh, with, from this because we actually have used our data and we've used public data to recognize which colleges are doing the best in uh, graduating first generation college goers. And, you know, four years ago at KIPP, 15% of our seniors applied to college the way an affluent kid does, where they build together a wish list and then they turn it into potentially six schools, two of which are like those far, you know, their dream schools to get into, maybe a one in 10 chance, two of which are like a 50% chance of admission, and two of which they're likely to gain admission into. But in each category of those, uh, each of those schools, They have higher than expected graduation rates for first-generation kids. So in each area of selectivity, these are schools that are doing right by our kids. In four years, we've gone from 15% of our kids applying to college using that list to 75% last year. That happens because we have our kids in our high school. We're working with them over the course of two years intensively. We are able to give you that wish list. You have a relationship with a caring adult who's going through that with you. They're helping you think through the, the implications. Our families may be concerned, Paul, about, This school is out of state. Would we be comfortable with our daughter going out of state? So these are relationships you have to cultivate. By the time senior year fall goes around, you have figured out your personal statement, why you want to go to college, what you want to study. Do they visit the campus? They visit the campuses. The campuses come to us. Um, This is game-changing. I'll give an example. I was in Denver this spring. Uh, You know, uh, We have a phenomenal high school in Denver, really, truly one of the the best uh, uh, high schools out there. They... Recognize that our, our uh, Kipsters weren't looking at Colorado State. And Colorado State is a great school that had a lot of great uh, pathway programs into great uh, works uh, fields for, for work. They weren't going because they looked at, at, at Colorado State and Fort Collins. It was like going to Mars. Now you and I might say, well, it's like an hour and a half away. But for our kids and families, they didn't know where it was, what it was. So we built a relationship with Colorado State. Our Kipsters are going there regularly. They see it in action. Uh, leaders from the you know representatives from the college or on our high school campus this year i think we're gonna have 30 plus um kipsters from denver at colorado state so you can do this with, a, with when you put in the will you we need to be in the high school game because the choices these young people are making at age 15 16 and 17 can be life determining they need a caring adult a series of caring adults who have contact with them they an anonymity is not their friend and i would just encourage like anyone who who you know for good reason says, ugh, like the high school game is hard, opening high schools, running high schools, it is. But it is the it is our last chance, right, with our kids to set them up on the best course possible, whether they go to college or not. So I see it as like, it, there's no option but to be in it and, and to really try to do it phenomenally well.
0: So what do you say to those people who say, listen, it's all family. If a child is not raised in a nurturing family, it's almost impossible to overcome those fundamental disadvantages. Do you think that schools can really make a difference, or some people say, oh, all KIPP does is just get the families that really care about their children into their schools, and there's not that much value added by the school. How, how do you respond to I that, ju- I, that I, concern?
1: I, I, ju- I think if, if we've done anything, uh, Paul, or one of the big things we've done in the last 25 years of working in education, all of us together, is we've shown that that's not the case. So that's what people used to say 25 years ago. Well, if only the parents, if only the parents did this. And 25, 30 years ago, the only thing people could point to when they said, oh, could, could kids growing up in inner, city, inner cities across America, could they actually achieve at high levels? We had the Jaime Escalante story. We had you know, a movie, and that was all people could hold on to. Now we have hundreds and hundreds of schools, of which KIP is just a part, that are showing that young people growing up all over the country can achieve at levels nowhere uh, imagined a decade ago. And they're the same families that people 10 and 20 years ago said, They don't care. Their Families and parents and guardians care about their child. That's the one thing we know. They care deeply. They may not all have the knowledge. They may not have uh, the insight into how the system works. They may not feel they have um, power to actually assert uh, their rights or what they want for their child, but they care deeply. We are simply tapping into that. We have wait lists today at KIPP of over 60,000 families. For everyone who says parents don't care, I said, well, look at that. Like, who who are those families that don't care? Where, where are they? Sh- point, point, you know, show, show them to me. People have different resources at their disposal. They face different challenges. They may be working two jobs. They care deeply. And, you know, the, uh, I'll say this, and it's it's mundane, but it has to be repeated. We have been researched more than any other school system in America, uh, inside and out. Third-party, you know, research. Not a KIP. Mathematica looked at it. Um, at KIPP, we serve children... Who are likely to be poorer, more likely to be a child of color, um, than the city sk- systems of which um, you know, uh, of which we are a part. So, if you look at all the cities we're in, we're m- our kids are more likely to be poorer, more likely to be starting off farther behind academically, more likely to be a child of color than the system at large. So. This is not about creaming. This is not about us just finding all the special kids and all the special families. I think one of the biggest things, Paul, we're trying to do is help people understand, like, talent is everywhere. There are amazing, talented young people in small towns and big cities. And if given a different opportunity, they'll have profoundly different outcomes. Well, Richard,
0: this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I've been speaking with Richard Barth, CEO of the KIPP Foundation. I am Paul Peterson. this is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new education exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time. Thank you for joining me.